There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are in France, which means Tubi is more popular than cigarettes for breakfast. It's more popular than considering iced coffee a total abomination. More popular than loving political revolutions. More popular than mer and mer somehow being different words. Tubi, it's more popular than being French. See you in there. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. I'm ready to go. Streaming now only on Peacock. Five rich and famous international soccer stars. They have everything except love. I think girls in the past have gone for me because of what I've got. That's why we're going undercover. We're setting them up with single American women. They don't know we are famous. They don't know we are rich. And they'll have to hide their true identity. What do you need for work? I'm an ad salesman. (laughs) Oh, God. What am I doing? Love Undercover. New series streaming now only on Peacock. We've got a doubleheader tonight, the Raiders and the Browns at 5 o'clock Eastern, followed by the Vikings and the Bears at 8.15 p.m. Eastern. And then on Tuesday, two games played simultaneously, broadcast nationally by Fox. You'll get one or the other, depending upon where you live. Washington at the Eagles and the Seahawks at the Rams. All of these games rescheduled from Saturday or Sunday. The Browns and Raiders were due to play Saturday on the front end of a doubleheader, and Washington Eagles and Seahawks Rams were due to play on Sunday. The games were moved two days each because of a rash of positive cases last week for COVID, presumably most of which the new Omicron variant, which for the vast majority of players who tested positive, Mike, they had no symptoms whatsoever. Soever. And even though 96% of the players are vaccinated, and even though the NFL has taken other steps to try to limit the spread, it has gotten into multiple facilities. It has raced through multiple facilities. And I'm told that the league was actually thinking about canceling these games. That was the alternative. Play them with however many players you could put in uniform. And there was a, a, a minimum number that was higher than I thought it was going to be. It was around 44-45. 21 offensive players, 20 defensive players, three specialists, two quarterbacks, seven offensive linemen. Like, if you didn't check those minimum boxes, they were just going to pull the plugs on the games. The players don't get paid, and we just move on with teams playing 16 games instead of 17 for the season. The union got involved and insisted – on these postponements to preserve the player pay and it also preserve the owner's revenue as well. So these games, barring some sort of extremely unexpected development at this point, will be played. They'll get the week in and then they'll definitely get, we'll talk about the changes they've made to definitely get the last three in, but they really had to do some heavy lifting and there was a lot of sweating and there was a lot of concern and there was a lot of turmoil, but they found a way to get, these other games in because of the outbreaks with the Browns, Washington, and the Rams. Oh, they did this last year, didn't they, Mike? I mean, they moved some games last year. Did, did, didn't we have a Tuesday game, if I'm trying to remember correctly? So oh, they moved plenty. This they moved wasn't plenty. like, oh, my God, this is a, 
yeah, this is so it's not like the first time they did it, but the NFL, remember that memo way back when, was so set in their ways that not this year, man, this year, if you can't feel the team, you're forfeiting. And if it's with a, it has anything to do with an unvaxxed player, you're not getting paid. I mean, they were trying to lay down the law. And all of a sudden, when that presented itself and there was a possibility of not getting paid, Hell yeah, the players got involved. And you know what? As a former player, hell yes, I would have gotten involved. You know, so it's like all, all of a sudden everything got thrown to the wind and said, let's figure out a way when we can play these games because they because they can. And I get it. Raiders are mad because well, all of a sudden, wait, wasn't our fault. We, you know, we, we didn't have an outbreak. It was, you know, our opponent that did. Maybe they should fly out to us now instead of us having to go to them. So I get it. But when there's that threat of missing the pay, Man, you're going you're gonna to try to work to not have that. And, and again, as a former player, I completely understand that without question. There was a sense of consternation from the Raiders, the Eagles, and the Seahawks because their attitude is, we didn't do anything wrong. We didn't do anything to cause this. We're ready to go. Now, there's also an element of, boy, we'd like to get our opponents at a time when they've got 20, 25 guys on the COVID reserve list. So the competitive nature does creep in. Right. And it's not like Washington, the Rams, or the Browns did anything wrong per se. It's this highly contagious variant that is slipping through and ripping through the protocols that previously were in place. So the end result was to rip the protocols up altogether. That's where we now are. That's how we're getting the rest of the season in. The league and the union basically have decided we're tearing down the walls. Like, the enemy is storming the walls. They're climbing the walls. What should we do? Well, let's just tear them down. Let's, let's just, there's no point. And, and, and that really is, I, I hate to be that blunt about it, but that's exactly what they're doing. They're saying, we can't keep this out. It's not making our players sick. We've got people who are vaccinated by choice who play. We've got people who are mandated to be vaccinated. All the other people in the building, the coaches, the staff, they're all required to be vaccinated. So let this wash through and they're going to continue to keep an eye on it because there could be obviously future mutations, especially if you let the virus just rip through. But they're thinking, let's let the vaccinations work. And the players never cared about it. That, that's the key here. It's amazing the union held this together as long as it did because the players never really cared. They never really were worried about the COVID outbreaks, the virus, the constant, it's not going to affect us. They've had that attitude to hold it together as long as they did is impressive by the union. But I think union management just finally got to a point where they threw their hands in the air because you had the owners not wanting to lose their money through the cancellation of games and the players realizing that they'd agreed last year, any games that aren't played, the players don't get paid. That's what brought labor and management together faster than ever before. There's nothing like, the mutual threat of everybody losing their money to get labor and management on the same page, Mike, and it happened this weekend. And listen, and, and let's, let's not single out football. This is in life, right? When money is involved, you figure it out. And again, there was that the hard NFL, not going to move games for this reason or that reason. You're going to lose your pay until all of a sudden it didn't just hit but it hit in a massive way like it did this weekend. And, you, and like you said, a lot of players were asymptomatic. Here's the deal. Here, here's, remember, there's 1,800, 2,000 players with practice squad players and such. It is truly 
from life standpoint and can be a microcosm of society. Because I guarantee you, of all those players, there are players that didn't get vaxxed because they didn't believe in the vaccine. There are players that didn't get vaxxed for political reasons. There are players that got vaxxed because they believe in the vaccine. And there are players who got vaxxed because that was the way they were going to get paid. They knew they may not have to forfeit money. Just like in society, people are making the choices. The football guys are making the exact same choices. But what wins out, what wins out most of the time, is you figure out a way to get your money. And when they were presented with the possibility of this hard-worded memo actually coming into play, everybody, like you said, went, wait a minute. Wait, wait, what might happen? We might not get what? Uh, okay, let's, let's kind of revamp this thing. Let's, let's get together and, and work this thing out over money. I mean, that's, that's basically what we're doing here. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the problem going forward is, and the new protocols boil down to basically the vaccinated staff, coaches, and players are not going to be tested on a regular basis. They'll be tested if they have symptoms. More on that in a second. There will be a certain type of targeted spot testing that I don't think anyone really understands. But the key is going to be the players, the coaches, the staff who have symptoms. Now, some will be obvious. If somebody walks through the door and they're just staggering around and it's clear that they're sick, then someone's going to intervene and say, we need to test this person. Or I presume they'll do temperature checks. I remember in the early days of the pandemic, anywhere you went, they made you do a temperature check before you could go in the building. But a lot of these symptoms can be easily concealed. And let's face it. As we get down to the final three weeks of the regular season and we get to the playoffs, who's going to tap out? Who's going to say, eh, I, I'm feeling a little congestion. Maybe I'm COVID positive. I'm, feeling a little, I'm not feeling well. You know, eh, I'm, eh. no, you're going to do what you have to do to hide it. You know, a lot of these guys have no symptoms. So if they have even the slightest symptom, they're not going to go tell somebody. Ben Roethlisberger is the only one who's done it this year. And look, it's, hey, when you're secure in your position, and I don't know how sick he got, but when you're secure in your position, it's a lot easier to do the right thing. If you're somebody who's fighting and scratching and clawing to stay on the roster, to stay in the starting lineup, to not want to give somebody else an opportunity to come in and show what they can do, or you're chasing a ring, trying to build a legacy, whatever the case may be, you don't want to let your team down, there's going to be a widespread temptation and reality, Mike, where people will hide their symptoms going forward. And uh, I think we just have to accept that. And there isn't anything anyone can do about it. There's not even a question that's happening. It's just like we hit injuries. How you feel? Fine. You know, how's your knee? Fine. How's your elbow? Fine. Do you feel sick? No, I feel fine. Especially a lot of these guys end up being surprised they tested positive because they're asymptomatic. You know, we sit here and talk about it, and there, there might be people listening going, my God, people, this is COVID we're talking about. This is dangerous. Yeah, yes, it, it, it definitely is. It, I'm, I'm just, I, we're trying to explain the thought process of players who are trying to get paid. And again, this isn't, this isn't unique to football. You know, there are people in the, in the real world out there that weren't working for a while, that are working, that want to make, get money and make their money back. So you're, you're going to be willing to hide things. So absolutely, players, unless you see them and they do the temperature checks and it comes up there, or you see that they're congested or see they're not feeling good, it's kind of like the concussion. You know, back when I was playing, if you could hide that thing, you were going back in the game. 
You know, how many fingers? Two. Well, close enough. Get back in the game. But but if you are walking around punch drunk, they're doing the right thing. They're taking that helmet away from you. But if you can hide it, players are going to hide it. They've hidden injuries from day one, and they'll hide sickness till the end of time. That's just right or wrong, whatever anybody wants to think about it. Just like I said about all the reasons players get vaccinated or not, that's their choice. That's their choice that they make, and, and, and you make your own personal choice. I don't control you. You do what you feel you need to do. In my world, where I played, because I was one of those foot soldiers, I didn't say a word about injury, any injury I had, because I knew if I left the field, I may not get back on the field. So the same thing with a sickness, and I know it's COVID, and I know it sounds ridiculous, but that's going to be the thought process of some players, no doubt about it. The NFL is taking great pride in its COVID protocols, a leader in industry and whatnot. And that's all well and good until the protocols become impractical. And as the pandemic becomes endemic to the population, that's the key. That was the realization. There's a point where you got to cut and run. And the NFL and the players, right or wrong, this is a reflection of broader society. There's a point where you just have to cut and run. And I had a sense this year, Mike, between the fact that they allowed Aaron Rodgers to show up for press conferences on a regular basis without wearing a mask, even though they knew he was unvaccinated, to the complete lack of interest in exploring the fake vaccination card rabbit hole when you found three of them in Tampa and you just turn your head and don't look at the other 31 teams when you know they're out there. That told me that this year's protocols were about PR and politics. But when pragmatism took over, that's when they said enough. Because these rules we put in place are going to cause us to cancel games when we shouldn't have to cancel games because we have people who are positive who are fine. And we don't want to know. Howie Long explained it yesterday as don't ask, don't tell. That's basically what it is. We don't want to know. I was arguing as recently as last week that guys who are vaccinated, asymptomatic, and positive should be allowed to play. They've taken it a step farther. We're not even going to find out if they're positive. If you're vaccinated and you're asymptomatic, you're good to go. You get symptoms that we actually can notice, then we got a problem. So I guess the, the proper explanation is vaccinated and managed to make us think you're asymptomatic, you're good to go. And that's just the way it is. And the unvaccinated are the only ones who really are at risk here because now the virus is going to be everywhere. The guys who aren't vaccinated who and who haven't had it yet may want to just, on one last occasion, Mike, have a seat and think this through, now may be the time to get vaccinated because that virus is going to be everywhere in these facilities. So, you know, again, not unique to football. This is society. This is other companies. You make protocols or guidelines that are PR positive, right? So you look good to the public because you're trying to sell your product and you, and, and you want people to look at your company and say, oh, look at them. They're doing the right thing. So you look good from the PR standpoint until reality hits, right? And then all of a sudden you get called on those guidelines and just like other companies outside the world of sports, it happened here in the NFL. And basically what they said is, oh, okay, well, we're going to change things around a little bit to now kind of fit the situation that we're in. So again, this, this while it's football, it's the most popular sport in America, this goes on you know, outside of the world of sports as well. You want to look good. You want to do things that make you look good to the public. And then unfortunately, you don't, you, at times you don't expect to ever get called on them. But when you do, then new decisions have to be made. Some will stick to the guidelines and say we're sticking to them anyway. 
and some will change. I think in, the, in, in a lot of cases, most will kind of, you know, make it a little more malleable and kind of fit the situation that you're in, like the NFL did right now. So these players are going to play these games. So you're going to get 17 games in. The owners are going to get their revenue and the players are going to get paid. Yeah, I mean, look, principle takes a backseat to profit, especially when you're looking at significant potential losses based upon adherence to a protocol that had become outdated by this current variant. And the NFL has made it clear they're going to continue to study. They're going to watch. If things change, they will make changes as needed. But at least for now, with this widespread variant that is making a small percentage of the vaccinated people sick, they did what they had to do and they move forward. They just want to get through the season. I think that's the sense that I get from talking to people around the league. They're determined to just get through this season, and then they'll figure everything out based on where we are after the season ends. After our next break, we'll talk about the Saturday night game, the classic in Indianapolis. Mike Golick was there calling the game for Westwood One as the Colts held on to beat the Patriots. We'll discuss that next here on PFT Live. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are in France. Which means Tubi is more popular than cigarettes for breakfast. It's more popular than considering iced coffee a total abomination. More popular than loving political revolutions. More popular than mer and mer somehow being different words. Tubi, it's more popular than being French. See you in there. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. It's a world record again! Go for the United States! Unbelievable! And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this! How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics. This summer on NBC and streaming on Peacock. I just think we, you know, starting with me, just the energy was kind of low. Um, maybe like feeling a little sorry for ourselves because, you know, whatever we come off the bye and stuff, but not to get into the details, but we just didn't practice well. And um, that just reflects how we played. Um, and I didn't practice good. I know a lot of guys on our team felt the same way. So we have to come to work every day and just be positive. And it's one game. It's not the end of the world, but at the same time, we could... You know, we can play with those guys, and they played great, but we also just, you know, shot ourselves in the foot, so we just got to move on from it. Gee, I'm stunned that the Patriots had low energy in that game based upon the very vivacious and dynamic performance by Mac Jones in the postgame press conference. Holy crap, I almost fell asleep in that 30 seconds, Mike Golick. You were there. On Saturday night when the Patriots fell in a deep hole and they tried to rally and come out of it, what did you sense was amiss 
with a team that we all thought was riding high after they had slayed the dragon in the AFC East by beating the Bills on that cold and windy night in Buffalo. I was stunned. What was your reaction? What was your vibe? What was wrong with the Patriots? So first, overall, this is a team that, that has been built, quite honestly, around their defense and how well their defense had playing, giving up a little over 15 points a, t- a game. What that had been doing, Mike, is giving a rookie quarterback in Mac Jones room to grow. There hadn't been a whole lot able to put being put on his shoulders. As a matter of fact, previous to this game, the five games before that, they had only given up three points total in the second half. So they would eventually get the lead and hold it thanks a lot to their defense, and there wasn't a lot of pressure put on Mac Jones, and he could kind of grow, and he's grown incredibly well. Now, what, what are the Patriots known for, and what's Bill Belichick known for? It's not so much always going out and winning the game, it's taking advantage of the other team's mistakes to help you win the game. They're great at that. Well, they played against a Colt team, which is number one in the league in takeaways. Look at the mistakes in this game. There were 10 penalties, Eight were against New England. There was a block front for a touchdown that went against New England. One of the penalties was an offside on a missed field goal by the Colts that gave the Colts another chance to kick the field goal that they made it. So it was the Patriots who made the mistakes, and it was the Colts who took advantage of them, and you put Mac Jones in position to, what, throw 46 passes, 45 passes? That's not what Mac Jones has done. That's not the position he has been in. So they were taken out of their game in this one. The two interceptions, both on Mac Jones without question. Darius Leonard set him up beautifully on on the first one. So that was on Mac. And so that, I think, is what went on. The Colts' confidence just kept building and building. They just get that defense just kept stuffing the New England offense. The, The part on the other side, in all honesty, that blew my mind was they have this great lead. It's the first time, by the way, I think in 99 games that the Patriots have been shut out at halftime, they were down 17-0 at halftime. But in the first half, Jonathan Taylor, not shockingly, carried the ball 18 times. In the third quarter, he carried it three. I was in the booth going, what are you doing? Run the ball. They were still throwing the ball with this big lead. I'm like, you got a guy who's a legitimate MVP candidate here, and you gave him the ball three times in the third quarter. Now, luckily, they started giving it to him more, and he bust that big, what, 67-yard run, I think it was, to end the game, to, to put it on ice on a short yardage play. Uh, but that was a little surprising to me, and Frank Reich has done that occasionally, has gone away from the run when that's something you don't want to do this year behind that offensive line and that type of running back. But overall, it was the reverse of what New England is used to. They take advantage of the other team's mistakes. They were the ones that made the mistakes in this game. The explosion from the crowd at Lucas Oil Stadium was remarkable. It reminded me of the old Adrian Peterson, who also wore 28. Andy's loose runs that uh, Paul Allen would call just bust through a normal handoff, normal play. Guy pops through, and he's gone. And you've always got that threat with Jonathan Taylor. And that took a 20-17 to game, and it applied the dagger in one fell swoop as the Patriots kept chipping away and chipping away. One of the things Mac Jones said, and it may just be that as a member of the Stepford Patriots and uh, a completely robotic and everything that he does, <laughs> they had the battery in upside down. But when he said maybe we were feeling sorry of ourselves for ourselves coming off the bye week, I, I don't I, 
I don't know why you'd feel sorry for yourself coming off the bye. I don't. I think that I think he's gotten his sound bites from Bill Belichick kind of mashed up in his brain and misfiled. Because um, I'm sure Belichick says all the time, "We're never going to feel sorry for ourselves about anything." But there's nothing to feel sorry about yourself for coming off of the bye. It was the perfect opportunity to have a bye. They were going into the final four games of the regular season, rested and refreshed and healthy. It reminded me of the Bucks last year coming off of their late bye with four regular season games left. I, I just I expected more from the Patriots. I expected them to do everything they could to take away Jonathan Taylor. And you know what? It it may just be that sometimes you design the defense to take away what the other team does best, but they still do it so well that it doesn't matter. Yeah, listen, it was actually the call. I expected a little more run blitzing by the Patriots in this one, but they played it pretty square, pretty straight. And you know what? They paid the price. I mean, they were not getting off their blocks. The worst thing in the world you can do as a defensive player is trade yourself one for one, you know, not because that's, that's a loss. And that's what was going on. So credit the, the Colts offensive line uh, for staying on their blocks, but they weren't getting off their blocks at all on defense. And the Colts, nearly every play, Mike, it was either a safety or a backer, was attacking the line of scrimmage. So they were playing on the other side of the line. And a normally split, this is a 49% run, 51% pass team in the Patriots. They weren't letting them run the ball. They were taking that part away by attacking the line of scrimmage and making Mac Jones put the ball in the air. And then because the score started to get away from him, he had to throw the ball more and more. But it was the Colts who did the attacking against the run where I thought New England would do a little more of that. As a result, the Colts are one game behind the Titans in the AFC South with three to play. Now the Colts have to catch them and pass them because the Titans swept the Colts. And the Patriots, all of a sudden, that return match against the Bills on Sunday in Foxborough takes on tremendous significance because the Bills are in position by virtue of their win yesterday over the Panthers to get things even more interesting in the AFC East. Let's take a break. When we return, now it was last weekend that NFL Network really lit the fuse on the events that led to the firing of Jaguars coach Urban Meyer. So when it's time for him to give his first post-termination interview, who does he call? He calls NFL Network. We'll let you know what Urban Meyer had to say about his exit from Jacksonville when PFT Live continues right after this. Fired early Thursday, Urban Meyer spoke to NFL Network on Friday, had a 23-minute conversation with Ian Rappaport. And look, there's a lot that he said. But the thing that really caught my eye and the eye of many others, I think college football has changed quite a bit. Society has changed, Meyer said. You think how hard you pushed. I believe there's greatness in everybody. It's the coach's job to find that greatness however you do that. I think everyone is so fragile right now. And that includes coaching staffs. When I got into coaching, coaches weren't making this kind of money. They didn't have agents. Everything is so fragile where it used to be team, team, team. I remember talking about it in a staff meeting three days ago. I got into this profession because I had the greatest high school coach, and it was all about team. Now, I think maybe the truth is it's all about me, not all about team. And it's all about Urban Meyer wanting to bring his specific style, that old school, in-your-face, swish around the water and spit it out of your mouth, I'll kick you in the ass or elsewhere if I feel like doing it. I played for a coach like that. Mike, I'm sure you've encountered guys like that over the years. We're from the same time frame. That's how it used to be. It used to be okay. It used to work, and now it doesn't. So as Urban Meyer stands there and wonders, why has everyone changed? He needs to ask himself, why haven't I? 
So, you know, we talk about old school, new school, and, and, and sometimes people get the perception that everything done in old school is outdated and can't be done anymore. And I disagree with that. I think there are still some old school things that could be used in the new school as well. But some things can't be. I mean, we have changed. We, you learn over time. I mean, right? I mean, when we were kids, we never wore seatbelts. You actually learned wearing a seatbelt is probably the smart thing to do. You learn to do things in a better way. And the one thing about Urban, now, you know, he said, you know, he was sorry he wasn't able to take this franchise where it should go. But as far as the coaching part of this, that man doesn't look in the mirror. He doesn't look in the mirror and, and say any of it's on him. You know, he's putting it all on the players and the coaches all being fragile of today. He failed. He, last I checked, he picked this entire staff, didn't he? I mean, he picked these guys. So he should know these guys. So to put that blame everywhere else, listen, as, as I talked about with him, you know, with a new coach in a bad organization, your job is to lay the foundation. He never laid the foundation, ever. Or the mortar he used had too much sand in it and nothing was solidifying. Because it, it was horrible and it starts with him. So while I will say I think some old school thing, and not, I don't mean kicking people, no water, some of the stupid drills that you do, I get it. But some of the mentality I, I do get that could live in today. But it doesn't seem that, that Urban takes any accountability in what he's done as a coach. It's blame the players and blame the staff that he hired, you know, that they're fragile and society has changed. So, all right, dude, you think it's changed and, and you don't like the way it's changed? Good luck in your retirement because, you know, if you're not going to change, uh, I don't see it happening. And a lot of people are going to say, well, he was so successful in college. And you know what? There'll probably be a college that'll give him a shot again at some point. He'll never work in the pros again. He probably doesn't want to work in the pros again because the players aren't taking his garbage. So it'll be interesting if he lands up, uh, lands back in college again at some point. Two things. One, he prefaced his comments, the ones we shared with you, by saying he had spoken to Jimmy Johnson recently, and that was the gist of the conversation. If I'm Jimmy Johnson, I'm saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Leave me out of this, Urban, because I came to the NFL and I realized what I knew. I realized what I didn't know. I suffered through a 1-15 in season. I didn't treat every single loss as if my puppy just got run over by a steamroller. I mean, my God, the guy was, was anguished over losing in the preseason. It's like, this guy's never going to last, and he didn't understand what he needed to do to lay that foundation of stone and concrete and build a team that was going to be successful. He was just clueless. He thought all he had to do was show up, and they were going to be so awed by the presence of Urban Meyer that everything was going to fix itself. That ain't how it works. Yeah. Here's the other side of it, too. He made it clear. He didn't just wake up as of last January and become this guy. He's always been the guy who will berate players verbally, who will berate his coaching staff, call them losers, call them dumb, call them stupid, maybe allegedly or actually kick a kicker or punt a punter as the case may be. So he got away with it when he was in a place where he's the emperor of the college town because who's got power over him there? And if you're winning, and that's the other side of it too, Mike, if they were 11-2 and two instead of 2-11, and 11, he'd still be there. And people wouldn't be complaining. Right. They'd be tolerating his misbehavior in silence. Yeah, they'd be saying his way works. 
because that's what it comes down to, especially, listen, we know it in big-time college football now it comes down for coaches winning and losing. We certainly know it's that way in the NFL. But that's the biggest difference, Mike, is he had power in college, over 18- and 22-year-olds, and over the coaching staff. The, the coaches at big-time programs like that are the most powerful people at the school or in the state. They're certainly paid the most as well. That doesn't play, and that, that's his style. And listen, that's his style, that's his style. He tried to play it in the pros. He wasn't, he wasn't going to change. He was unbelievably successful in college, and he tried to apply the same measures in the pros. And it doesn't work. The game is totally different. The players are totally different. And he wasn't able and didn't want to adapt. Instead, he just said, players and coaches are different. They, can't, they don't know my way, and my way is a winning way. He's going to believe he was in the right, right? That, that he knows how to coach because he won in college. But it's different in the pros. A lot of times those college coaches come to the pros and they don't win. They have this weird expectation that it's going to be the same and it's completely different. So again, spinning it forward, it'll be in, really interesting where he ends up. Does he end up back in the media where he talks about this? Or does he, and then at some point, end up back in college? I don't know. And, and just so we're clear, I'm not saying it made the misbehavior okay. I'm just saying if they were 11-2, and two, nobody would be saying anything. The fact that they struggled, I think, emboldened people to complain. And I think when he abandoned his post, that was the moment where people who oh. were not happy with the way he carried himself and the way he handled himself began to feel emboldened to talk about it to reporters. Because this had been going on for weeks. Before it hit critical mass nine days ago, it had been going on. There were many unhappy people who were working for him, and they're happy now, even though the Jaguars lost to the Texans yesterday. They should be happy. They got the number one overall pick in the draft. All they have to do is just hold it together. We know you can do it, Jaguars. Just lose these last three games, and you have an even better assets to attract your next coach. By the way, real quickly, Josh McDaniels, a name that I'm told to keep an eye on because of the work he's done with Mac Jones in New England as the offensive coordinator. And also Byron Leftwich. What a story that would be. The former Jaguars rookie quarterback, the guy who was a franchise quarterback in Jacksonville, doing great things with the Bucks. Maybe he'll be the guy who comes back and gets the most out of Trevor Lawrence. Let's go ahead and take a break. Sunday statement draft with also some Saturday names in it, if we're so inclined, when this Monday edition of PFT Live continues right after this. All right, let's get to it. Sunday and Saturday statement draft for week 15. Mike Golick, you are up. How about Jared Goff? How about what he had been going through there in Detroit? Him and Campbell seeming to go at it a little bit. That team not doing well. He's 21-26 yesterday, 216 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions in their upset over the Arizona Cardinals. He's completing about 67% of his passes this year, still in single digits of interceptions with eight. So, you know, a guy who really was kind of getting ripped a bit is what was going on in Detroit, trying to salvage what he can there and pulling out a couple of wins for Detroit. Got to give him his props. Well, and also there was a point where he took a low hit, roughing call, and Tim Boyle came in for just like a play, maybe two at the most, and Goff was back out there. And, you know, hey, to take down a team that had not that long ago the best record in football, impressive performance from a guy that we'd all given up on. I'm going to give some love to Jonathan Taylor. We mentioned him earlier, but 29 carries, 170 yards, a 67-yard dagger. He continues to be on the fringes of the MVP discussion. His teammate Darius Leonard really came out aggressively in support of him he keeps doing this if they would win that division 
And I guess the ones hell, everybody's in play for the one seed. It, it seems like if the Titans would end or the Colts, excuse me, would somehow end up with the one seed, then it's definitely Jonathan Taylor. But even if they just knock off the Titans, this, this is a guy who could break that trend of quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. It's been nine years since Adrian Peterson was the MVP. Maybe Jonathan Taylor is on his way, Mike. Watching him run, Mike, in person and just seeing sometimes where he gets hit a yard or two past the line and just keeps going forward and always falling forward, really, really impressive. Uh, My next is going to be Davis Mills. You know, here's a third-round pick. You had Deshaun Watson until that whole thing fell apart. Tyrod Taylor was then the quarterback until he gets hurt. All of a sudden, there's Davis Mills with an opportunity as a third-rounder, plays in 10 games, completing 66% of his passes, gets the win over Jacksonville yesterday. Just a guy who you didn't expect to be on the field, getting his chance, I believe 10 touchdowns, does have nine interceptions as well. Not like I say, he's not setting the world on fire, but for a guy that wasn't expected to play and all of a sudden got his chance to play, you know, let's see what he can make of it. Let's see where this, what, where it can lead uh, for him down the road. But pretty nice job overall by him for a guy that was expected to hold a clipboard all year. And, and uh, you know, I, I joked about this earlier in the year, but bravo, Texans. I knew you would win just enough games to screw up holding the first overall pick in yeah. the draft. The gang that couldn't tank straight, the Houston Texans. Speaking of a guy that... Wasn't expected to play. Now, at least this time he had a week to prepare. Last time he got thrust into service late in the week because Lamar Jackson had a turn with his illness. He was going to play. Then he wasn't. Tyler Huntley knew all week he was going to The ankle injury, Lamar wasn't going to play. Tyler Huntley came in. Two touchdown passes. Two rushing touchdowns. First Raven to ever do that. Something Lamar Jackson has never done. Tyler Huntley is laying the foundation to get an opportunity to start somewhere else. Uh and uh, he could be pretty good when he gets his opportunity to do just that. We have an opportunity, or, or more of a necessity, to take a break. We'll wrap up the Sunday and Saturday Statement Draft when PFT Live continues right after this. All right, those are the first two selections for each of us. Mike Golick is now up with the third pick in the Sunday and Saturday statement draft for Week 15. What do you got, Mike? I'm going to go with the dynamic duo of Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. I mean, what they're doing together, second and 11th in the league in receptions, both of them over 1,000 yards. Between the two of them, 185 receptions, over 2,200 yards and 16 touchdowns. In the last game they went over the Chargers, they had 22 receptions between the two of them, 339 yards and three touchdowns. I, I just don't know. You know, you sit there and look at the teams and dynamic duos of a team. You know, that, that, this is a tough one to beat of what they're both doing to help damage those other teams' defenses. Yeah, Travis Kelsey had a career-high 191 receiving yards with that walk-off game winner in overtime where – He was moving in slow motion. He was the hot knife that was just kind of working his way through the butter on his way to the end zone to get the victory for the Chiefs. And now, Chiefs, hey, they had to be thrilled with what went on Sunday. You see the Patriots uh, lose Saturday night. You see the Ravens lose. Things are looking good for the Chiefs. Titans lose. They're in the one seed right now in the AFC. For me, I'm torn between the Steelers' defense and the Saints' defense. But... I think it's far more impressive that the Saints went on the road and pitched a shutout of Tom Brady. Dennis Allen 
And we've said this from time to time, Mike. I mean, they've done great things with that defense there since 2017. He's been there since 2015. He got a defense that was in shambles post-Rob Ryan. His name never comes up in the head coaching discussion, never. Not a whisper, not a whiff, not a murmur, nothing. And if, if it doesn't after last night, we're a week away from the first time ever the window opening on teams with vacancies beginning the process of interviewing assistants from other teams with permission. How in the world is Dennis Allen, after last night, not at the top of the list or close to it? Listen, I, I, yeah, I, I get it. Cover the middle field of well. His guys on the D-line were winning their one-on-one matchups. But, yeah, so pressure on Brady and confusion in the middle of the field. He's done a great job. We'll see with this this new rule and an opening up to the interviews if, if he's in there. And, and keep an eye on this dynamic. We have two teams that currently have vacancies. The Raiders, they've had theirs for a while. The Jaguars have had theirs for a few days. There's going to be an incentive. You know, we talk about Black Monday, the Monday after the end of the regular season. Next Monday, Mike, yeah, ho, 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 two days after Christmas, there's going to be some coaches that may find some coal yeah. because they may be out the door so teams can get in on this. That's definitely something to keep an eye on. Right. All right. And that's it. Keep an eye on the clock. We're done. It's over, baby. We'll see you tomorrow. Great job. Uh, Merry Christmas, Mike. We'll talk to you next Monday. Everybody else, we'll see you tomorrow. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.